Hello and welcome back to Southside Baptist Church's Sermon Audio Podcast. Tune in this week for a continuation of our Christ-esteemed sermon series entitled, The Joy of Being in Christ. We pray that this will be a blessing to you. Have a great week. We are uh, we're continuing this morning in a series that began a couple of weeks ago. Um, that I have entitled Christ Esteem. Uh, that may be a little bit um, of a term that you've never heard before. Everybody's heard of self-esteem. Uh, self-esteem is when we get our esteem or our worth or our value by looking at our self and from self. Um, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, I believe that is faulty thinking. I believe when we seek to get our value from ourself, it is lacking because deep down we all know that we're lacking. And that we, we do need esteem. We need to know that we're valuable. We need to know that we are worth something. But, you know, where our worth needs to come from is from somewhere else other than self. So I want to continue talking to you about that this morning. This morning we're going to talk about um, where we should get that esteem from, and how that esteem can give us everything that we need uh, for living in this life. Um, many people want that, maybe, maybe don't have, um, aren't willing to ask the questions to figure out how to get there. Um, but as we continue this morning, let me start with a story this morning. Um, in the novel Girlfriend in a Coma, Douglas Copeland tells the story of a young lady by the name of Karen, who in 1979 fell into a coma. While lying in the hospital, as she was in a coma, guess what? Life goes on. Her teenage friends grew up, got married, got divorced, made mistakes, uh, got a job. They did life. While in her vegetative state, Karen missed everything. The opportunity to grow up, the opportunity to see all the changes taking place in the world around her, such things as the fall of the Berlin Wall. She missed big events in the world. Um, the big AIDS uh, crisis, uh, the rise of the personal computer, even the changes in all her friends. However, 17 years after collapsing, Karen suddenly awoken, awoke from her dreamless sleep. Her sudden reawakening in the book is a huge story. Karen initially resists the media hype that came with her uh, coming out of the coma, but eventually agreed to an interview with a local TV reporter. The big question is, just how is Karen finding the world that she is now awakened to? The reporter asks her, Karen, what's the biggest change in the world that you've noticed so far? What strikes you as the deepest change? She responds, you know what it is? It's how confident everybody comes across these days. Everybody looks like they're raring to go all the time. People look confident when they're just buying chewing gum or even just walking their dog. The reporter goes on, you, you like that? You think that's interesting? She said, well, well, there's more. She said, you take the same confident-looking people and you ask them a few simple questions such as, what do you think life will be like in 10 years? Or have you found meaning in your life, or does growing old frighten you, she said, and suddenly you realize that they're not so confident, that they're actually despairing about the world around them, and you see that their confidence is nothing more than simply a mask. 
Friends, I believe the same thing is true in our world today. There are many people seeking to display all sorts of confidence, seeking to put on a mask of confidence to the world because, listen, that's what the world tells us, right? Be confident people. Be confident individuals. Go out there and take the world by the horns, right, and, and, and get what you want and do what you need to do and live your life. Friends, but I believe many times that confidence is just a mask for what's really going on on the inside. Insecurity, uh, lack of real meaning in life, lack of purpose, lack of feeling significant. You know, we've talked over the last few weeks about the fact that we can't get true worth, true value, true significance or confidence from ourselves. We can't get that truly from ourselves. Trying to make ourselves uh, feel better or trying to feel better about ourselves is not going to give us uh, the confidence we need or the confidence to do anything because deep down I know that I'm not perfect and I know that my abilities are lacking. So the question becomes, where can we get this confidence that we think we need? Where can we get the courage? Is it possible? Is it even possible to live life with confidence, courage, and security? Friends, I believe it is, but I believe most people are looking in the wrong place for it. I believe that there is only one true source of real confidence. I believe uh, that the only legitimate source that we can find real confidence is in the Lord. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he and only He is where we need to go to get our confidence, friends. And I want to talk to you about that today. I want us to look at some verses that we've looked at over the past few weeks. I'm going to add some more in, in there. But I want you to look at um, this first verse on the screen with me, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, you probably already know this, right? We talked about it last week. says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Friends, listen, the key to getting the confidence we need is being in Christ. It is being united with Him. When we are saved, when we realize our own sinfulness, when we realize that doing life our way is a dead-end street, and we turn from that and we turn to God, we realize that He is the answer. That, that He is the creator of all things, that He is the one that we need to submit our lives to. When we realize that, we realize that, that our sin separates us from God, so we need something to help us. We realize that He provided that way for us in Jesus coming, living a sinless life, and dying on the cross to pay for our sins. When we realize that and we accept that as truth, friends, then a whole new world opens up for us. We become united with Christ. We are born again, and as this verse tells us, we are, we are made a new creation. The Holy Spirit does a work in our heart, and we are united with Him. The wonderful thing that baptism, we're talking about this a couple times this morning, pictures for us is it pictures um, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but it also pictures what happens in our life when we get saved, when we come to know Christ as our Savior. We die to our old life. We're buried with him through baptism into death. And we are risen just as he rose from the grave. We are risen to a new life in Christ. Amen? So we are united with him in his death and resurrection. 
I want you to look at this next verse with me. Romans chapter 6, actually 2, verse 3 and 4. Look at what it says. It says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism. So there is a spiritual baptism and there's physical baptism. The physical baptism, which we witnessed this morning, is a symbol or a picture, a testimony of the spiritual baptism. Okay? Spiritual baptism. Word baptism, uh, when you see baptism, here's what I want you to think. I want you to think to immerse or to dunk. Okay? And so baptism physically is we are immersed in water as a picture of what happens to us spiritually when we are immersed in Christ. And the, 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 the reality of who he is and what he's done for us, and we are baptized by the Spirit, okay, into Christ. So as many of you are baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death. We died to self. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism and death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead... By the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So, just as Jesus died for our sins, friends, when we turn to him, we die to our sin and to our old life. And just as Christ rose from the grave on the third day, we are risen to a new life in him. Amen? Look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So, that's why 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, can say, Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So when we trust Christ as our Savior, all our sins are washed away. The Bible says that God considers us. He doesn't remember our sins anymore. God chooses. chooses. You think God's forgetful? He's not forgetful, but he chooses to forget our sins. Praise God for that. Amen? I have a hard enough time forgetting them, right? Listen, you don't need to forgive yourself. You just need to trust that God will forgive you. Okay? You just need to trust that through Christ, God will forgive you. And old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's why we get to our verse today. Galatians 2, verse 20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, yet it is no longer I who live, but what? Christ lives in me. So when we turn from our sin, die to self, put our faith and trust in Jesus as the Lord and the boss of our life, he becomes, on the, he becomes the, the ruler of our life. He becomes the king of our lives. It's no longer I who live on the throne. I've taken Scott off the throne of my life, and I've put Christ on the throne of my life. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Amen? The moment we're saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live in our life. Now, let me pause here for just a moment, okay? I want to deal, uh, let's pause and deal with something that what I just said that some of you may be wondering about. Some of you may be saying, okay, pastor, you just said that and read in that verse that we've been crucified with Christ, and our I who live, Paul says, but Christ lives in me. Pastor, I thought that when I got saved that the Holy Spirit was the one who came to live in me, not Jesus. Pastor, isn't it the Holy Spirit that comes to live in us and not Christ? Listen, that is a great question, and I'm glad you asked. Yes, it is the Holy Spirit of God that comes to live inside of us. Um, uh, you are correct. But even though, um, I want you to think about it, even though God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are three distinct persons, a little lesson on the Trinity here, okay? God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit are three distinct persons. Um, they are also one God. 
Now, some of you may be new to Christianity, and some of you may be saying, that's crazy. All right? We come up with all sorts of different illustrations in the world to try to illustrate that. None of them illustrate it perfectly, but let me give you one of my favorite, even though this is not a perfect illustration. Um, we think of water, we, and water um, is chemically described as H2O, correct? Water is H2O. H2O can exist as water, a liquid. It can also ex exist as ice, as a solid. It can also exist as steam, as a vapor. So this molecule, H2O, can exist as water, um, ice, and steam. Where that illustration breaks down is that God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit exists as all three simultaneously. He doesn't change from one to another. But I like the illustration because it illustrates how God is, um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the same essence, just like H2O, but God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So, even though He is three, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, He is also one. In fact, God is so much one. He is so united in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is so connected and so joined together in the Godhead that in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, He is often referred to, and those three terms are often referred to inter interchangeably. Um, I want to give you an example of this, okay? Even though they are distinct persons, often um, referred to interchangeably. Look at um, Romans chapter 8. I'm going to put it on the screen here behind you. Romans chapter 8 says this, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Now we're picking up in the middle of something, and so uh, we're in the middle of a, 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 something Paul's talking about here, about living in the flesh and in the Spirit. He says, You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Okay? So who's he talking about there when he says the Spirit of God? He's talking about the Holy Spirit, Right? Let's continue on. talks about the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. He says, now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Let me ask you from the context, is he talking about the same person, Spirit of Christ, Spirit of God? Yes, absolutely. We can tell that from context, right? He's talking about the, the same Spirit, but he calls him Spirit of God, then he calls him Spirit of Christ, and then look at verse 10, he says, and... If Christ is in you, so here already in a verse and a piece, he's already referred to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, even Christ himself. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, I believe that actually talking about our spirit. It shouldn't be a capital S, small s um, uh, there. But look at verse 11. It says, But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, so, he's talking, about? he's talking about the Spirit of God. He's talking about the Holy Spirit again, but he's referring to him in a little bit different way. He says, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So, what we see here is that in a very few short verses, the Holy Spirit of God who comes to dwell in us when we are saved is referred to in several different terms. He's referred to as the Spirit of God. He's referred to as the Spirit of Christ. It's even referred to that if Christ is in you. And so, in essence, what the Scripture is saying and what Paul is saying here is that because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God, when one dwells in you, you're indwelt with all. Okay, And so, when we talk about being in Christ, yes, technically speaking, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you, but because the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you, and the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son are so united, it is God himself dwelling in you. And so many times we talk about the fact that it is Christ 
in us. Amen? That's why Paul can say back in Galatians 2 verse 20, as we looked at already, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, yet it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So when we're saved, we're united with him in his death and resurrection. Jesus sends his spirit to live inside of us and to teach us and to uh, guide us and to lead us and direct us. And we become a saved, redeemed, regenerate, born-again child of God. And we are now in Christ and he is in us. Amen? Friends, we are united in him. And that is what can give you the confidence that you're really looking for. Don't look to self for confidence. Look to Jesus. He's the one that gives us the confidence we need. He's the one that gives us the joy, the peace, the contentment, even courage, friends, to face each and every day. And this morning, I know it seems like we kind of already had a sermon this morning. I had a little pre-work to do. But I want to share with you, before we go, three quick ways in which Jesus can give you the confidence you need. Number one. Number one is this, friends. When we are in Christ, we can be confident in our relationship with God. When we're in Christ, we can be confident in our relationship with God. Now, I told you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Look at it with me, if you will. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Got a little bit of explaining to do here, all right? So we're going to try to do this quickly. Look at what it says in verse 19. Verse 19, Paul, um, Paul the writer of Hebrews, we're not sure that Paul wrote it, but anyway. Um, Therefore, brethren, having boldness, or some translations translate that, it can be translated confidence, having confidence, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and it goes on, it talks about, then let us draw near unto him. But it says that we can have boldness to come before the Lord. It says to come, what does it say? To enter the holiest. Now let me explain here. Uh, the writer of Hebrews is, um, is talking about Old Testament stuff, and he's telling how the Jesus um, fulfilled Old Testament uh, things. Okay, So uh, specifically here, he's talking about the tabernacle. I've got a picture of the tabernacle here I want to show you. This is kind of a picture, a, a makeup of the tabernacle proper. Um, this is the temple for the Jews in the Old Testament. Um, back when they were wandering in the desert, they had a portable temple. How cool is that, right? God gave them specific instructions on how to make it and dimensions and all this other stuff. And when they picked up from one place to another, they would pack it all up. They had certain people supposed to carry it, do all that stuff, and they would take it to the next location and they would set it up. And this would be the place of their worship. The place in the middle here that is, uh, no, go back to the first one there for just a minute if you don't mind. Um, that dark, where the dark brown is there is known as the tabernacle proper. Now go ahead to the next one. Um, this is a layout of the whole um, tabernacle complex, and the, the square in the middle is the tabernacle proper. If you notice, the tabernacle proper is divided into two areas, the holy place and the holy of holies. Okay, Holy of Holies, think of that as the inner sanctum. That was the place in uh, the tabernacle or in the temple also where God's presence uh, was symbolized to dwell. It held the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments and so forth inside of that. And the Holy of Holies, uh, that most holy place, was a place that nobody could go in, only the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement. 
He would make sacrifice for himself, then he would make sacrifice for the people, and he would go in. You see the little line, the veil there. There was a curtain that separated those two, and he was not to enter into there. In fact, tradition says that, um, that they were so scared to enter in because it was holy. This is where God's presence dwelled, and if you entered improperly, God could kill you on the spot. And so it was. Uh, tradition says that they tied a rope around his ankle so that when he went in, that if God struck him dead because he, he wasn't doing things uh, like he should, that they could pull him out with having to go in there and get him. All right? That's pretty funny if you think about that. Nevertheless, here's why I tell you all of this, is because one day a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest made sacrifice for himself, made sacrifice for the people, and then he would take the blood of the, of the animal that he sacrificed, and he would go in and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat as a symbolism of the atonement made for the sins of the people. Now, Hebrews tells us that it's not the blood of bulls and goats that pays for our sin or even paid for their sin, but it's the blood of the spotless Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ. And so here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, that's what it's talking about, that we can, like the priest, like the high priest, could go in only once a year. We can go to God anytime. Why? Because, what does it say? It says, by the blood of Jesus, through the veil that is his flesh, because of his body and blood that were shed on the cross for us. When Jesus paid the sacrifice for our sin, the separation that the veil represents of us as human beings from God was torn in two. Remember when Jesus died, the scripture says the veil was torn in two. That symbolizes that separation uh, is not there anymore. We can go straight to God. We can have access straight into God's presence. Amen? So look at verse 20, uh, 21. Verse 21 says, And having a high priest over the house of God, so who is our high priest? Jesus. Jesus is our high priest. He's, it says elsewhere in, in Hebrews, He is the mediator, the only mediator between God and man. There, we need no other. Okay? And because Jesus Himself is God, we can go straight to Him. It says, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So because of what Christ did on the cross, his blood cleanses our hearts and our conscience and our bodies are washed. Uh, symbolically, the sin is taken away. Amen? And because of that, because of what Christ did, just uh, as, as the priest went in there, we can go boldly. We don't have to have a rope tied around our ankle. We go boldly, and not because we're worthy, but because of what Jesus did for us. Amen? We can come boldly into the throne of God. We can come boldly into his presence. We can go straight to him with our prayers. The scripture goes on to talk about here that because of that, Jesus... Uh, back in the other part, talks about that, that Jesus knows what we've gone through, so we can go to him with anything. And we can come to him, and we can be confident in our relationship with God because of what Christ has done for us. We don't have to go through a priest. We can go through anything. We can go straight to God because of what Jesus has done for us. I was trying to think um, about how to illustrate this maybe a little bit. And... Um, He's kind of the best I'd come up with, so bear with me. You know, throughout the years that I've been pastor here, um, occasionally uh, I, I've noticed something. And that is when, like last week, we had um, Pastor Brandon's kids were baptized. 
And occasionally a kid will um, pray to receive Christ with their parents or with their uh, maybe a WANA leader or Sunday school teacher or something like that or, or uh, wherever. Um, they may trust Christ as their Savior and then want to be baptized. And so what I've found through the years is that when they want to talk to me about baptism, because I like to sit down and just make sure they understand what they're doing and uh, make sure they understand what salvation is and what baptism is and what they're not and so forth. But what I've found is that many kids are scared of me. Yeah, I know. It's the big scary pastor, I guess. I don't know. Um, I joke about that a little bit. I'm trying. That's one of the reasons I went to help Jason and game time and so forth so the kids can get to know me a little bit better. Um, yeah, I know, Jason. Part of it was your winsome personality, uh, which I love, uh, but uh, also to get to know the kids and so forth a little bit so they may not think of me as big and scary anymore. I don't know if it's worked or not, but um, nevertheless, kids who don't know me because they see me up here and so forth kind of see me that way. But you know what? My, ki my own kids don't see me that way. Sometimes I wish they do. I need to put the fear of God in them, okay? Um, but they don't, right? Your own kids don't see you that way. My own kids don't see me that way because I'm their dad, because we have a relationship, because they know I love them, and they know that I want them to be able to come to me anytime um, they need something. And friends, in a very similar way, the same thing is true once we are in Christ. God is our Father. Abba, Father. That's a dear, tender term that we can use for Him. We are part of His family. Amen? We are, we are His child once we are in Christ. And because of that, friends, there's no need to be afraid of God anymore. Amen? We can come boldly into the throne of grace. We can come confidently to Him, and we can live confidently because of that. Because we, we know we are right with God. Because let me ask you something. When you know that you are right with God... Doesn't that make a difference in the way you live? It ought to. It, I can tell you throughout my life, it's made a huge difference. You know, it, it gives us the, the confidence to live life. Listen, when I know, if I know that I'm right with God, what difference does it make what anybody else thinks? If I know I'm right here, you may not like me. You may complain about me. You may whatever. But, it, you know, and, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to listen to what you have to say. But guess what? In the end, I only have to please one person, and it's him. You know, when I know I'm right with God, what difference does it make if somebody makes fun of me? I, I don't know if, if you were like this. When I was a kid, um, I was one of those kids people made fun of. You know? I, it didn't matter. You know why? Did I care? Yeah, sure I cared, right? But it doesn't matter why. Because I know the Lord. I know I got this relationship's good. You know? What difference does it make if people, if, if I feel inadequate, if I, if I feel like, um, if I don't feel good enough? What difference does that make if God loves me, friends? What difference does it make if the whole world hates me if I know that the one that really matters loves me? That's what really counts. Friends, when we know that, when we're in Christ, you can live your life for Him, no holds barred. Amen? We can have the confidence we need. So, when we're in Christ, we can be confident in our relationship with Him. Number two, second of all, friends, when we are in Christ, we can be confident against any challenge that we face. We can be confident against any challenge that we face. Once you look at... 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 with me on the screen this morning. 
John writes this. He says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Now, who's he talking to here when he says, You are of God, little children? He's talking to believers, right? It's obvious he's talking to believers. But in context here, he says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Who's the them? Well, if we look here in 1 John chapter 4 and a little bit before, he's talking about um, don't, not believing every spirit, but testing the spirits, testing the, the voices that you hear, not inside your head, but in the world, okay? <laughs> um, I mean, you probably ought to test those too, okay? Uh, they need to be of the Lord. Um, and if you are of the Lord, you don't need to worry about anything else, okay? Um, and that's really what he's saying here. Basically, that when we are of the Lord, we don't have to worry about anything else. We test the spirits. We, uh, those, there are those who don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is from God, and we need to, we need to um, not worry about them. That the devil will and can bring anything and everything against you as a child of God. Did you know that? But I want you to notice what he says here next. He says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So let's just make this very clear. Who is in the world? Who's he talking about there? He's talking about Satan. Okay? Um, the Bible describes Satan as the ruler of this world. God has given him a, a temporary domain. He is allowed um, to have authority, if you will, somewhat here on earth. Um, not God's authority. But here's what we need to understand is, as Scripture tells us, He who is in you, so if you know Christ, if you've trusted Him as your Savior, if you are in Christ, the Bible says that He who is in you, now we already talked about that, who is that? It's the Holy Spirit, right? It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of Christ in you. God is in you. And so he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I want you to notice something here. He says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. It has already been done. It has already been completed. When Jesus died on the cross, friends, victory was won. Amen? Listen, there's a... Um, Ran across a story a pastor from Indianapolis told Charles Ellis. Um, he said he's a huge sports fan. And when he, knows, when, he, when he knows he's not home and his favorite teams are playing, he will record them on TV. Um, now, this story was told back in the day of VCRs, okay? So you can kind of think about it like that. You can think about it in the term of, of uh, uh, recording it on your, um, on your digital recorder or something like that. But he said when he goes back to watch the games of his favorite team, he doesn't rewind it all the way to the beginning. You know what he said he does? He said he just rewinds a little bit at the end and watches the end first. That way, he knows whether his team won or lost. He says if they lost, he throws the tape away. <laughs> if they won, he rewinds it all the way to the beginning and watches it all the way to the beginning. Now, some people would have asked him, well, doesn't that spoil the fun? Doesn't that ruin the game for you? He says, in fact, au contraire. He says, not at all. He says, in fact, when I watch the game and I already know the end, I don't have to worry. He said, if my team fumbles the ball, who cares? I know we've won. He said, if my quarterback throws an interception, ha, it doesn't matter. Why? Because he knows the end. He knows that they won. Here's the privilege we get as Christians and as believers. 
Listen, there's a lot maybe we don't know, but we do know who wins. We, knew, we know who comes out on top, friends, and he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world, and he's already won, and he's in control. So, friends, I want you to think about how you live your life now with that. Amen? Knowing those facts... Friends, as believers, there is nothing in this world, there is nothing that this world or somebody else or the devil can throw at me that can, that, that, that can mess with me. Amen? If I know how it's going to come out in the end. Amen? There is no difficulty too hard. There is no challenge too great. There is no problem too big. There is no mountain too high, friends. The devil can't take your salvation. You say, well, he can mess with me now, not unless God allows him to. Friends, he can't do anything to you that God is not aware of. And if God allows it, he's got a purpose in it, and we still need to trust him for it. But he can't touch your soul, and he can't Thwart God's plan once you are in Christ. Friends, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. With that news, we can be confident against anything we face. Amen? Listen, are you facing struggles in your life? Facing struggles in your marriage? Trust God with that. God's got this. Are you facing demons in your head? Maybe depression or anxiety or uh, uh, whatever struggles it may be, friends. Listen, God's got this. Just trust Him with it. You facing demons from your past? The devil wants to keep bringing those back and bringing those back. Guess what? If you've already dealt with those in Christ, let it be gone. Amen. You are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're facing doubts about your salvation, friends. If you're in Christ, guess what? It's up to Him. It's not up to you. Trust Him. Amen? Friends, turn it over to the Lord. Give it to Him. Trust that He will help you through it and that He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. Know that whatever you face and whatever the world throws at you, friends, you can face with confidence. You can face with courage. Not confidence in yourself, but confidence in the God who has it all in control. I love being in Christ. Amen. Amen. We can have confidence in our relationship with Him. Friends, we can have confidence for whatever challenges the world brings at us. And the third thing I want to talk to you about this morning is this, friends, that we can have confidence in our approach to life. Very simply put, just kind of wrap this up this morning, is, friends, we can live all out for God. We don't have to hold back, friends, because we know that Jesus is always with us, because we know that He's always got our back no matter what we go through. That the, one, and, and that, that the one who died for us on the cross is also, according to John chapter 1, the one who spoke the world into existence. He is the very God of the universe. He is our friend. And if you've trusted Him as Savior, and if you are in Christ, you know Him, and He walks with you and talks with you. He will always take care of you. And he will empower you to do whatever it is that he's called you to do. Look at our main verse again this morning. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So do I live that life by what I think is best? No. Why? Because I've died to self. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Jesus living in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. So I'm trusting God with my life. I'm trusting God with everything I have. I trust Him to lead me and guide me. I trust Him to be my satisfaction, not money or things or stuff. I trust Him to be my joy and my happiness, not trips or, or vacations or even family. I trust Him, friends. I trust Him every moment of every day. The one who loved me, look what it says, and gave Himself for me. Remember, that kind of harkens back to if God loves me, what difference does it make what anybody else thinks of me? We are so trapped by trying to live up to what the world says and what the world thinks. Live for an audience of one. For God. Friends, because, listen, if I'm trusting Him for everything, if I'm trusting Him for my sustenance, if I'm trusting Him for my strength, if I'm trusting Him for my satisfaction, if I'm trusting Him for my joy, and my peace, and my happiness, friends, then I can approach life confidently because, guess what? I don't have to worry about all those things. He's got them. Amen? They are all in His hands. And I don't have to be the one that thinks I have to control my life and my world and the world in general. I can leave it up to him. I want to close with this story. Um, author and pastor John Ortberg tells about a time when he was walking in Newport Beach with a couple of pastor friends. He said, two of us were on staff together at a church and the other was an elder at the same church. We were walking um, down the street in Newport Beach. He said, we walked past a bar where a fight had been going on inside. He said, the fight had spilled out onto the street, just like in an old western. Several guys were beating up on another guy, and this guy was bleeding from his head and from his forehead. We looked at each other, he said, and we knew we had to do something. So we went over to break up the fight. He said, we're very intimidated because all we could do was say, hey, you guys, stop that. <laughs> uh, he said, that didn't do much good. He said, we kept trying, but to no avail. He said, then all of a sudden, these guys who had almost paid us no, no attention at all, all of a sudden looked at us with fear in their eyes. And these guys who had been beating up on the one guy stopped and started to back away. He said, I thought all of a sudden they realized how powerful I was. <laughs> but he said, I didn't know why until we turned around and looked behind us. He said, out of the bar had come the biggest man, he said, I think I've ever seen. He said he was something like six foot seven inches tall, over 300 pounds, maybe 2% body fat, just a huge guy. He said, we called him Bubba. Not to his face, but afterwards, he said, we called him Bubba. He said, Bubba didn't say a word, but he just stood there and flexed. <laughs> he said, you could tell he was hoping that they would try and have a go at him. He said, because Bubba was standing there, all of a sudden, my attitude was transformed. When I realized Bubba was standing there, I said to those guys, you better not let us catch you coming around here again. 
said, I was a different person because I had great big bubble behind me. I was ready now to confront them with resolve and firmness. I was released from any anxiety and fear I had. I was filled all of a sudden with boldness and confidence. I was ready to help somebody that needed helping. I was ready to serve where serving was required. Why? Because he had Big Bubba behind him. I was convinced. He said, I was not alone. I was safe. He goes on to say this. He said, if I knew that Big, that big Bubba were with me 24 hours a day, I would have a fundamentally different approach to my life. If I knew Bubba was behind me all day long, he said, you wouldn't want to mess with me. But he's not. Friends, maybe we don't have Big Bubba with us, but guess what? We have God with us. If you're in Christ, um, God is with you at all times. He lives in you. He's there not only to lead you, to guide you, but to protect you, to be your sustenance, to have all the answers that you don't have. You just have to lean on Him. Amen? We trust Him. Um, we don't have to be afraid. We can live confidently, not because we're all that, but because God's all that. Amen? Where are you at? Do you know Him? Maybe you're here this morning, and you've never, um, maybe this Christianity thing's all kind of new to you. Maybe you're here with a friend, or somebody's invited you this morning, and you're saying, you know what, um, Pastor, this is kind of new stuff for me. Here's the deal. Because the Bible says that we're all dead in our sin, that we're sinners, we've sinned against a holy God, and that sin separates us from Him. But the Bible also says that God loved us so much that He sent His Son, that second person of the Godhead, to come to earth. He lived Jesus, a, that was, His name was Jesus, He lived a sinless life so that He could offer Himself as a sinless sacrifice on our behalf to pay for our sins. He proved that He was God, He had power over death, so He wouldn't be any different than anybody else who died and maybe claim something big if he just sick, just came and, and, and died on the cross. Other people died on the cross. But what made Jesus different was on the third day he rose from the grave to prove that he has power over death and he can resurrect us as well if we put our faith and trust in him. Friend, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to acknowledge and recognize that we're sinners. We need of Jesus as our Savior. Believe He died for you on the cross and paid for your sin and rose from the grave to give you a new, new life and be willing to surrender your life to Him as the Lord and boss of your life. And the Bible says that if we will, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 13 says, For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here this morning and you've never done that before, would you today? Maybe you're here. You've trusted in Christ, but you've had trouble. You've been trusting in yourself more than you have Jesus. You haven't been living with that confidence. God's been calling you. He's been telling you what he, how He wants you to live for Him, but you've been living kind of timidly, been living with, 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 with a lack of, a, of assurance of who you are in Christ. Friends, listen, God will empower you. He will give you the words to say. He will give you the confidence that you need to live for Him and to be a testimony for Him each and every day where you are. Would you confess your 
unreliance on Him and say, Today, Lord, I just want to rely completely on You. I want to surrender it all to You. Where are You at? What response do You need to make? Let's pray. I'm asking you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're one of those who've never have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, and you say, you know what, Pastor, I want that. I need that. I need to, I need to have what you've been talking about today. I need that Christ esteem. Would you simply pray with me right now? Just pray to the Lord right there in your seat. Pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I need you as my Savior. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And I believe that you rose from the grave to give me new life. Today, I'm ready to turn from my sin turn from doing life my way and give my life to you. Jesus, please be the boss and the Lord of my life. Friend, if you prayed that and you mean business with God, then that's then, then God's got you. You are now a child of God. Maybe you're here and you you're one of those who say, you know what, Pastor, I have not had the confidence in Christ that I need. Friends, would you confess that to Him right now? Lord Jesus, I haven't been trusting You like I ought. I've allowed the devil to bring other things in my life. I've allowed false belief. I've been listening to things other than Your Word. Lord, I know that You live inside of me. Lord, I know that you are greater than anything else and anyone else I can face. So, Lord, today I lean on you. I trust in you. I believe wholeheartedly in you as my sustainer and provider and everything I need. Heavenly Father, you know our hearts. Holy Spirit, do your work in them today. Draw us to Yourself. Lord, draw us to broken hearts that are surrendered and leaning on You, Lord. Trusting in You completely. It's in Your name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to Southside Baptist Church's weekly sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you, or if you're looking for your next steps to further your journey with Jesus Christ, please contact us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks, and have a great week.